Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. Proverbs 20 and verse 7. If you're there, you can say amen. If you're not there, say, wait on me. (laughs) We will wait. Amen. Hallelujah. I want to talk to you a little bit about what God is as a father to us and reference the people of Israel. And then I want to talk to you a little bit about what it means to be a a guide as a father and and a role model for the next generation. So let's just go to the word of the Lord. The righteous man walks in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. It's a very powerful proverb. The previous verse talks about how men will brag. It says, most men proclaim everyone his own goodness. How many know guys that do that? (laughs) Proclaim their own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. And then it goes into this verse. The just man. This word says righteous, but the just man walketh in his integrity and his children are blessed after him. I want my children to be blessed after my walk. Amen. I want to talk to you for a little while about that. I hope it blesses your heart. Jesus, help us to understand today that we need to be guided by our Father. We ask you to touch our hearts to receive the word, and we ask you to let us be open to what you have to say to us in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. You may be seated. I pondered whether I would share this story, but I feel I will because I think it helps me to kind of set up where we're headed today to talk about how God wants to renew us and refresh us and refocus us as men. And uh, I just want to celebrate all our dads in the room. If you're, if you're a dad, would you stand real quick? If you're a father in the room, would you stand? Amen. Let's, have all, let's give the dads a big hand. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being godly men. And I know these men personally, and I know their walks with God, and I know it's a blessed, um, it's, it's a blessed thing to have children come behind you when you walk with the Lord. So this week I had the opportunity to hang out with a friend of mine who used to guard the Tomb of the Unknown in Washington, D.C. You have to be a certain height, a certain weight, and you have to have very specific uh, body style to guard the Tomb of the Unknown, as well as you have to be a certain a certain uh, individual rank and things of that nature. But he moved on from that to helping with what's known as the caisson, which is the horse-drawn carriages for hearses. And they put the casket on the top and they they go through Arlington Cemetery and take a soldier back to his resting place. He he was... He has the uh, duties of, of m- many different tasks, but one of the things that, ha- that has afforded him opportunities is the fact that he has the right to walk in on and, and walk up to very high-ranking officials. And so as we went to this particular military celebration, as it is on the 14th of June, the Army's 200 and I believe 43rd birthday, 
Um, we were at this military celebration in Washington, D.C. this week, and the sergeant major was there, and we were able to uh, see all of these generals and all of these high-ranking officials and, and able just to walk right up to them, something that you don't normally get to do unless you have an advocate that, uh, that knows them and knows how to get you there. Amen, somebody. If we, if we understand the representation that I'm talking about, you could preach with me that Jesus is our advocate with, with the Father, amen? And we have access to God through his blood, amen? So therefore, you can get to places that you would not normally be able to go to because you have someone who has the right to be there and you come with them, amen? It's the same with Jesus Christ. He died for our sins. He covered us in his blood. And therefore, we have a right to walk into the presence of God as his children not coming and bowing and just saying, oh, with all reverence, although we do, but we have the opportunity to actually run in as he is our father and come in as a child would run up and crash into the knees of their dad as they're young and just say, I, I know I'll be welcomed. I know I'll be received because my father loves me. Amen. It's the same thing as we had there. It's, it's a representation that we'll preach, if you will, that we had the opportunity to see people that I wouldn't even get the chance to walk in front of. But because of these generals and these, these they had details around them protecting them but I had the right to just walk right through the protection and go right to them and shake their hand. And that was a really impressive thing for me. But what I noticed about that was the, the, the pride in the thing that was, that was bolstering up the entire celebration was, was that they were showing the reason why the generation before us felt it so important to lay their life down for our freedoms. And they told story after story of men that said, tell them when you get home that we gave our today so they could have their tomorrow. Tell them when you get home that we gave up our freedoms and we, we fought in these jungles and we fought in these places and we fought and gave our lives so that you would have a great tomorrow. And I don't know if I was ever so moved as I was whenever I stood and shook the hand of men that have fought their entire life or men that have given their entire life to protecting our freedoms as I did that day and I celebrated with them and I watched the smiles on their face as they knew they were doing something for the good of tomorrow. I want you to know that a Father's Day celebration today is not just about today. It's about tomorrow as well. It's not just about what we're doing right here, right now, but it's about what comes behind us tomorrow and the next day. I have the privilege of standing on the shoulders of a giant of my grandfather who pastored and preached many sermons, but also pastored and started churches. And it, it is not me that, that, that needs to tell you that I am honored to be in the position I'm in, but I'm also honored to come behind men who live for God and love God. They started churches when nobody was there and they began to live for the Lord in ways that I can't even begin to track. But today I want to tell you that when you live for God, you, you forge a trail and you create a place for others to come behind you. Amen, someone. There once was a, a young man that was talking to an older man and somehow there's, there's this dissemination that takes place where you don't have to be taught some things, but you definitely um, find yourself catching some things from the older generation. And this young man was talking to uh, an older pastor, and he said, it doesn't matter how much I fast and how much I pray, I still deal with this thing in my flesh. He goes, I don't know, I understand why I'm dealing with this, this problem, and, and why can't I stop wanting to sin, he told the older man. And the older man said, well, 
<laughs> with a chuckle, he goes, it's, I'm sure you're fasting just fine, and I'm sure you're praying just fine. He goes, but neither one of those were meant to handle your flesh. He goes, they're there to help you. But the thing that's helped you not to sin against God is when you hide the word of the Lord in your heart. He goes, you have a heart problem. You don't have a fasting problem. You don't have a praying problem. You have a heart problem. And you need to go to the word of God and begin to hide the word of God in your heart. And when you hide the word of God in your heart, it will keep you from sin. And it will keep you from desiring sin. So whenever I went on this trip a couple weeks ago with these gentlemen that I work with who, who they have uh, all kinds of desires for sinning. They, they, they talk about things that I don't even want to mention over the pulpit. And I, I can handle it somewhat. They're belligerent in a way. But when they start dropping GD and other things like that, I say, you know, excuse me, I need to go because now you're starting to talk about the God that saved me. I mean, you want to use some belligerence, that's, that's your choice. And, and you, want to, you want to use some vulgarity, that's your choice. And you want to talk about things that are, are referring to your desirous nature towards sin, that's up to you. And I'll try to be an example if I can. But when it comes to them talking about my Lord and my Savior, when they start taking his name in vain, then I start having an occasion in my heart where I'm like, you know what? That's the God that saved me. And so every once in a while, when they say that, when they say Jesus, I'll say, yep, he saved me. Yep, he set me free. I'll throw back at them some, some flack because if they can talk about whatever they want to talk about with no filter, then I can talk about my Lord. How However, I want to talk about him without a filter as well. And I want to be a good representation for the Lord. And so I began to, to desire to desire more things of God. I realized if they can desire sin that much, I want to desire God even more. And so I started carrying this little book around, and it's a book that says Praying the Word Effectively. My wife was kind of shocked when it showed up here today. She's like, I thought that was in our prayer room. <laughs> but it came with me, and I've been reading through it. And in Psalms 25 and 4, I want, to, I want to just give you some word that can help your heart to desire God some more. Is that okay, men and women and anyone else? This is good. Amen. Psalms 25, 4 through 5 says, Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. Are you glad you're saved by this almighty God? On thee do I wait all the day. Psalms 32 and 8. I, and this word is very powerful. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. God will give you the direction you need to go, Jessica. God will give you the guide that he's going to be the guide unto mine eyes. And, and wherever your focus is, that's where your life will end up. Amen? And he said, I will be the guide to your eyes. Wherever you look at is where you end up turning. That's why they, they're very careful. I was watching them as they worked with the horses, and they put blinders on them sometimes because they said wherever the horse's head turns, they end up going that direction. And so it's interesting that the Bible uses the word guide because I want to be guided by my father. Amen. And so Psalms 37, 23, it says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Psalms 119, 105, another powerful verse, the word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalms 143 and 10, teach me to do thy will. In other words, God is capable, if we pray to him, to teach us to do his will. For thou art my God, thy spirit is good. Lead me into the land of uprightness. Proverbs.
Proverbs, a powerful verse written by the most wise man ever known, uh, Solomon. It says that, so shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. Proverbs 12 and 15, more good words for men today. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. We have a way of justifying everything, amen? But the Bible comes to task and says, the way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. Isaiah 30, 21, and thine ear shall hear a word behind thee saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. When ye turn to the right, when ye turn to the right hand and when ye turn to the left. In other words, it's saying when you feel like going this way or you feel like going that way, understand that there's a way of the Lord and there are those that have tracked this trail before and you should go the way that is of the Lord, not the way that your heart wants to turn you. Amen, someone. And so then the Bible also says in Isaiah 48 and 17, Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer. Anyone glad he's your Redeemer? Amen. And that he's the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord, thy God, which teacheth thee to profit. Anyone catching the theme here? That God teaches us. God instructs us in the way. God helps us along the way. He is your help and your hope. Amen. And he is the best hope we could ever find. And so he teaches us, teaches thee to profit. He even helps you in the financial fitness, which leadeth thee by the way that thou shouldest go, shouldest go, or that the way that you should go. Isaiah 7 and 15 says, butter and honey shall he eat that he may know to refuse the evil and to choose the good. It's talking about the blessings of the Lord. And then John 10, 3 through 4, it says, To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. In other words, it's saying that we are the sheep, and he is the shepherd. And he knows how to open the door and lead us out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. How many know the voice of God? How many know that you're glad that you have God speaking in your life? I'm grateful for his voice in my life. And then Acts 22 and 14 was one that I really enjoyed when I was reading and praying through the word. And he said, the God of our fathers hath chosen thee, amen, someone, that thou shouldest know, that thou shouldest know his will and see that just one and should hear the voice of his mouth. In other words, I want to break that down for you. In other words, you're chosen by God. You're chosen in a way that is so powerful that he called you his own sheep. He called you sheep by his name or by the name. Um, he, I'm sorry, I jumped to scripture. That he called you that you should know his will, amen, and that, you should, that you, should, you should know he's the just one, and that also that you should know his voice. In 1 Corinthians 2 and 14, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. In 2 Corinthians 2, 3 and 3, it says this, but the Lord is faithful. Someone should put an amen right there. But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. Amen. God can do all those things for you. God can help you in your finances. God can help you in your home. God can help you in raising your kids. God can help you in, in all of the relationships that you have. 
I, I wonder, sometimes I wonder if all the sermons we heard ever took on us, what we would do with it. I've been sitting in church all my life. I don't need another sermon, but I do need a message from the Lord. I do need a word from the Lord on a regular basis. I need to feel God's, man has God's word for my life. And that is what this is all about. That is when we pray and we seek God with all of our heart, with everything in us, and we ask God, Lord, what are you telling us? How are you wanting to guide us? Where do you want to lead us? Because I want to follow the Father because he has all authority and he has all power, amen? And if I'm following him, I have the right to go there. So it's interesting that I find as I was beginning to be a little bit nostalgic about Father's Day, I don't have a good father. I'll tell you, the story is not pretty. But it doesn't matter my story. It matters about the story of our father because he picked me up and brought me along. He put in place the things that I needed that were missing. He was the, he was the re redeemer of everything that was lost. And he'll be the redeemer for you too. He's a redeemer of wasted years, the Bible says. He's redeemer of the, 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 the crops. And he's redeemer of all these different things, of the canker worm and the palmer worm and all these other things. But just so you know, everything that it talks about in Scripture in the Old Testament that he redeems from, none of those are root eaters. In other words, if you have roots in God, you will make it. Amen. If you put your roots deep enough, God will keep you. And I want to share with you some of my roots today because I'm standing here not on my own strength. Yeah, I have, I have walked with God, but I don't know what I could say that doesn't sound self-righteous at this moment except for to tell you that I've done everything I know to do, but the things that I haven't done, the things that I haven't been able to do is the favor of God that I have on my life. The things that are passed on from previous generations, from men who walked before me and said, God is good, and this is the way to go, and this is the path you need to take, and it's worthy of your life because I'm giving my life to it. Men who stood before and gave their life to the house of God and gave their life to walking with God and said, God is right and holy and just, and he will do you good no matter what you're going through, no matter where you've been and what your situations are in life or your station or social status, God is is the path you need to take. He will do you good. That is what is said when you model your life walking with God. You don't have to say a word. My grandfather started many churches, and I have a clip here today that I want to share with you of him preaching. This is circa 62 or 63. I don't even know the exact sermon he was preaching, it, but I want you to know the trail I'm tracking. The trail I'm walking today as a man is not a trail that hasn't been forged before. Uh, he didn't have to talk to me that much and tell me, son, you need to do this and son, you need to do that. His lifestyle told me because he not only lived for God, but then whenever he got bitter, when things happened and he fell out of the church, I sat down on a park bench with him in Florida and we were sitting there and just watching the birds and he sat there and I said, grandpa, what made you come back to God? And he said, I knew, I knew if I died right now I'd split hell wide open he goes and I knew that I had preached against this and I had preached against the lifestyle he would fill up a coke can with Jim Beam because he was so bitter he began to drink on the plane coming back from the north slope in Alaska because they had an open bar and he would just have drinks with the other guys it slowly wore him down I don't know that he drank first but he slowly wore him down and he was bitter and that bitterness produced a hatred toward the church for a while and he hated the things that people would do and people 
teachers would do to people. And he, he just didn't like it. He didn't want any part of it. And he slowly became an alcoholic. And he wanted to hide it, so he put it in a Coke can so us kids wouldn't see it. But it came to a point where there was one time where I sat down on a bench with him, and he had, had already had a major heart attack, and he knew his life was not long for this world. He knew that he had to, he had to do something about his spirituality, and he had to pull away from the addictions that he'd let into his life. Hello, somebody, that he had let into his life. And so he said, he said on that park bench that day, I said, Grandpa, what turned it around? What made you get rid of the alcohol? What made you stop doing what you were doing? What made you change your life? He said, I knew if I died then, I'd split hell wide open, and I didn't want to go to a place that I'd preach people out of. I didn't want to go to a place where I was the one that was there and I knew better. I knew how to get out. I knew how to do it better. And so when he said that to me, something changed in the heart of this man that said, it's not out there. It's not in the drink. It's not in the bottle. It's not in, it's not in the places that you can go to find satisfaction. He said, I've done all that and I realized that God is still the best thing for me. God is the best life I could live. God is the best way to go. And in his testimony of having done it, I I don't have to go there. I don't have to struggle with it. I don't have to have the shame or the woe or the pain of having gone and gone through broken situations, broken lifestyles. The best testimony is not that you came off crack or that you came off cocaine. The best testimony is that you were in church all your life. You walked with God all your life and you had the best testimony when you say, God kept me from everything. I don't need to be a person that tells you that God is the path you need somebody that models it in front of you because sometimes the best sermons are ones that people live out and he lived it out. Are you able to play that clip for me, bro? This is my grandfather preaching in Palmer, Alaska in 1962. Check out what he says about the generation, that he, what he wants for the generation to come. that ever hit the land and he went through several countries throughout Asia and Macedonian and all the Sicily and different countries where he went and preached the gospel unto Christ. And I remember the time when Brother Paul was down praying and he heard a Macedonian call, said, come over here and help us. We need you over here. And he began to pack his little uh, goods up to head out that way. And oh, friend, listen, he walked many hot roads and dusty roads and probably through many wet ones too. And uh, many times that he probably went down to the boat harbor or ship dock and asked the fare of the next country. And they'd tell him, well, it's so much and so much. And Paul would say, well, uh, friend, I'll go back and make a few more tents uh, and I'll be back to get the ticket. And he did. Money didn't mean nothing to him. I'll admit to him, if I read him right, my friend, is he had the desire to see people saved and born into the kingdom of God. Do we have it today? Do we have it today? Do we have it today? It should be there. The more I think about what he done for me. John tells us in the 13th chapter in the first verse that now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto his fa the Father, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. He carried it right out to the end. He carried it right out to the end. I said the other day that I hoped and prayed that all of my children 
Every one of them. And there's no way in the world for me to make preachers out of them. No more than you can make them out of yours. But it's my desire to see them do great things for the Lord. Not to own a big car, not to own a fine home, or not to find a real good, wonderful job in life, but my real heart's desire is to see them have the love of God in their hearts that they're willing to sacrifice and pay and give and walk and talk for the kingdom of God. And brother, I'll tell you what we're going through in Palmer's uh, not even a... a well, it's just nothing beside what Jesus went through and what Paul went through. I'll never be able to trace his tracks. I'll never be able to step in Paul's shoes and say I've been as great a man as Paul. And yet down at the end of his life, he still had great passion. And he demonstrated how he lived his life by saying I've fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Not for me only, but all them that love his appearance. Oh, tonight, church of the living God, if we could wake up uh, and see that man that's laying in the gutter and see that man that don't know God and put some loving arms around him and saying, friend, come go with me. We will do thee good at the house of God. But that was my grandfather. That was his desire. And then 62, he had no way of knowing that two of his grandsons would be starting churches today. But God honored his desire and the trail that he tracked. He didn't think it was anything like Paul's trail. But what he didn't realize was someday in a church that was never here before, his grandson would be standing preaching, sharing the audio of him preaching, his desire from his heart of wanting his children to preach the gospel and his children's children. I promise you this, that if you ask God to give you a mountain, he will give you the mountain. Caleb in the scripture said, give me this mountain. He didn't ask please. He didn't ask maybe. Maybe if you want to, Lord. He, you know who Caleb was. He was one of the 12 men that were sent to spy in the promised land. And he came back and gave a good report. And 10 returned and gave a bad report. But he was one of the ones that said, we can do this. And when he decided he wanted a mountain, it was just him and one other person. He said, I don't care what kind of opposition we have. Give me my mountain. Unfortunately, we need to turn back to a place where we have the same spirit of Caleb. And we have that, that desire for the great and the high places of God where we go to high places in him. And, and the testimony of God for Caleb is this in Numbers 14, 24. It said, but my servant Caleb, because he hath a different spirit in him. Everyone say a different spirit in him and has followed me fully. I will bring into the land where he went. I will bring him into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. In other words, God said, because you had a spirit that asked for the high things, because you had a spirit that said, God, if you will guide me as my father, I'll go wherever you want me to go. God's testimony of that man was that he had a different spirit. He didn't have a spirit that complains. He didn't have a spirit that sits down in apathy. He didn't have a spirit that says, well, I guess this is how it's always going to be. Instead, he had a driving power 
powerful spirit that said, I want everything that God has for me. And I want everything that he said is mine. And I will not ask for it kindly, but I will go and I will claim it in the authority that God has given me as his child. In other words, Caleb said, believe God's word and be resilient in going after it and learn how to fight the good fight. That's what men need today. We don't need more of what we're seeing in the world where the attack is being succumbed to. And there's so many people that are like, well, I'll just back off. Or if it offends you, I won't hold the door for you. If, or if it's something else that, that offends you, I just will stop doing it as a man. No, men need to stand up, square their shoulders back and say, God called me to be a man. And I'm going to be a man in this day and in this hour, regardless of whether culture receives me or not. Because for some reason, there is a power in a man's walk with God. And God even takes notice of the spirit of a man. God takes notice. And he recorded it when it came to Caleb. And so I want to tell you that whenever God decided to father the people of Israel, he said, when you remember my Passover, you have a meal of bitter herbs and unleavened bread and then you celebrate the cup that represents the blood of the lamb. You do this in remembrance of me. And the reason why he said that was because the bitter herbs reminded them of Egypt where they once were enslaved. And the unleavened bread reminded them that you don't have time for the bread to rise. You need to eat with your staff in your hand and with your shoes on your feet, the scripture said in the Old Testament. In other words, what he was saying was, you need to be ready to go at any call. Whenever I call you, you need to be ready to answer that call and go. It was offensive in, those, in, in ancient days to eat with your shoes on. They would actually come in and wash their feet and sit down and have a meal and break bread together. But Jesus said, when you observe the Passover in the, in the times of Israel, in the times of antiquity, he said, you take the unleavened bread and you eat it with your shoes on and your garment on and your staff in your hand. That way, if I call you, you're ready to go. And then he said, always keep the covering of the blood of the lamb on your life. I don't know if I can communicate what the blood of the lamb covering you means to some people because we represent that and understand that as the blood that was shed on the cross for us through Jesus Christ. But maybe I can share with you this way and it'll make some sense for you. Sophie was a sole survivor of flight 1863. She was flying from one country to another with her mother and when the plane came out of Detroit headed for their destination, something went very wrong. And when they got to the crash site where the plane had crashed, there were no survivors, except for little Sophie, who was an infant at the time, very small baby. And they couldn't figure out how it was possible that Sophie survived this crash when no one else made it through the crash. And they began to study and do all of the analysis, and they realized that an adult body had unbuckled itself and got down in front of her and wrapped their entire body around Sophie to cover her in the crash. And the reason why Sophie today lives, she'll tell her story if you want to look her up. The reason why Sophie lives is because she literally was covered by somebody else. And whenever they found her, she was covered in blood and she was, she was a mess. You wouldn't even want, you would think she was 
permanently damaged. She only had a, a broken wrist and a few other things that happened to her. But someone sacrificed their life so that she could survive. They literally wrapped a covering around her. And that's what it means to be covered in the blood of the Lamb. It means that Jesus Christ came and took our sin and our pain. And he wrapped us around so that the damage of sin and the struggle and the, the consequence of sin would not destroy us. But instead, he took his own body and took the pain and the suffering into his own self. And that he literally covered us in his blood as a substitute sacrifice for us. And that's the way he teaches the children of Israel that he is a good father, that I will do these things for you, and this is what you do to remember me. So it's important that we remind ourselves that the heroes of our home are our dads. Now, I know some are raising kids without a father in the home, I commend you for that. If you're listening online and you're a single parent, God bless you for all you do. But it's like one little girl said, some people don't believe in heroes, but they haven't met my dad. I've decided to be a dad that my kids need, not the dad my kids want. In other words, I'm not just being their best friend. I'm not just giving them everything they want, buying them the latest phone or doing whatever it is that they want, they think they want from a dad. I'm being the dad that they need. Even if they don't like me sometimes, I'm still being the dad that they need. Because I found out that my father is a father who gives us all of our needs according to his riches and glory. And you can say, well, I don't have everything I need. Well, maybe if you look at what God has provided to you, maybe you used what he gave you for your needs for something that you wanted, and now you still have a need. Because he will provide, amen? He promised to provide for your needs. If you will apply it to your needs, you will be blessed, amen? amen. And so the story that I shared with you and the things that I showed you today and the, the audio that I played for you is all for you to understand that I want to live as a man on fire on the inside. I want to live as a man who does not doubt but trusts God. And I want to live as a man who does not have anger in my life but can lift up holy hands without wrath and without doubting. Amen, the scripture says. And that whenever I look at the life of those who have come before me, men who were my fathers, that I I can truly say, if they camped here, it's good for me. If the fire warmed them here, that fire's good for me. If whatever they packed to get through life was the word of God and living for God and prayer and fasting, then I'm going to pack that same thing in the backpack of my life, and I'm going to camp out where they camped out, and I'm going to live the trails that they live. I'm going to ask for the old paths and the old ways because they are healthy and they are good, and they gave their life for them. And that tells me that that is a good life to live. Amen? Fathers, there's a couple things you can do. Number one is be demonstrative. Some, find, some men find it challenging to show their affections. But your children need that. It's vital for your kids to feel and hear that affection from their father. Number two, you need to break a sweat. <laughs> you need to do some things that are not only physical with your kids, but they need to know that they can have a good time with their dad. Amen? You need to give them kisses and hugs, and you need to kiss and hug your wife in front of them, men. They need to know that you have love for their mother, 
because that produces a safety in them that you can't do without uh, doing it, showing them or modeling that. Somehow, when you show your wife affection, it reinforces the stability of your marriage and shows your children how a loving couple acts and what a great example it is to love each other in that, such a way. And number four, get on the ground. Get on the ground with your kids and do something that, that you're spending time with them. And everything that they see you do, they will love you for. It's funny how you're the hero of, I was, today I was driving with my daughter to get donuts and she just reached over and held my hand and I told her how much I loved her. And I was her, I was the most amazing dad forever. I mean, I, I, I could catch baseballs at professional baseball games and I could, I mean, there, there was nothing her dad couldn't do. And she still loves me. Number five, you need to read to your kids, dads. We all know the lifelong benefits of reading, but when you sit down with the Word of God and you read with your children or you sit down and you read them something, it tells them that they are a priority in your life like nothing else. Number six, put away the iPad, iPhone, and I... <laughs> Oops, I might get in trouble with this one. An iPod. There's not even an iPod around anymore. This one... This one's hard because you have so much work that's done on our phones and stuff nowadays, but there's absolutely nothing more important than giving your kids time. Kids spell love as T-I-M-E. That's how kids spell love. Number seven, smile. Parenting is hard work. I get it. But all parents know that the stresses and struggles can make it so difficult and daunting, but you can shield your children's heart if you just put a smile on and just say, look, we're going to get through this, but we're going to get through it together. Even if it's hard, we're going to get through it together. And they know that you're going to fight with them and for them. And number eight, pretend. Pretend with them. If she comes in with a little tea set and she wants to have a, a, little, a little tea with you, put that pinky up and go to having some tea. Pretend with your daughter, your son. Pretend that things are happening and give kids the license to be free and enjoy themselves. They're only kids once. Protect them by pretending with them. Enjoy life. They don't have to get everything right. It doesn't even have to make any sense. They're kids. Just enjoy it. Enjoy pretending with them. And then number nine, dads, be willing to get silly. Dance with them, sing with them. Talk with a for, foreign accent. I don't know. Do something to in, let them enjoy you. It doesn't matter. You can actually do any anything that's fun in your home. Make it make it you. It, many, many of you have an amazing personality, but it matters to kids that they know you're fun loving. They know that dad's a good time. He's gonna. We're gonna enjoy this. Did you know that in the home the man is actually responsible for entertainment? Did you know that? It is true. The man is responsible to, to set the family vacation and, and to try to figure out what we're going to do and where we're going to go. Uh-oh, I'm getting in trouble now. But it is true. The man should take an active role in saying, I, I do it for my wife. I say, hey, babe, we need to go somewhere. Let's get together. Let's sit down. Let's talk. Let's make a plan. Let's do this. Because I realize my responsibility as a man is to take and make memories with our kids that they'll look back on and say, that was a good life. 
the way my mom and dad loved us and the way that we went traveling and the way that we camped. Yeah, I know we kind of cooked frogs in the fire, but whatever, you know, whatever you did as, you, you know, Pete is going to call me after this sermon, I'm sure of it. But whatever you do, do it with them. And best of all, provide that positive lifelong memory that family is the best way to do things. Amen? That we do this together. Let's stand together today on Father's Day. And I'd ask if you have a father here, if you would be willing to come down front. We want to pray over you and bring your family with you. All of our fathers, if you would come. We just, this is a celebration of dad. And so many of you are strong. Dad's strong. And I get that. Um, some of these examples I share with you probably made you feel uncomfortable. Like, I'm not going to do that. No, I, I'm not good at being silly. I just, we'll have fun other ways. We'll get on bikes and ride through the neighborhood or something. But most of the people that I talk to that will remember their father or remember their childhood, they'll talk about dad getting on the floor and wrestling with me or dad doing something at the park. Or there's always something that they remember that's special. I don't have a lot of memories like that. My dad took me shopping. <laughs> Ooh. Um, but that was the one thing that I had was my dad took me shopping whenever I'd go visit him. But still, when we went shopping, there was one thing that he did. He said, baby, get whatever you want. <laughs> He's Southern. He's from Texas. And I said, dad, can I get these shoes? He said, baby, get whatever you want. I didn't realize he was racking up credit card debt to do this, you know, like he would like, he would buy all of us the stuff and send us home and then he'd pay it off the next year and then we'd come back the next summer and do the same thing all over. I didn't realize that was going on. For me, my dad was the richest dad in the world. He'd buy us stuff. He's like, baby, get you two if you want. <laughs> he just, he didn't know how to love us if he wasn't giving. And that's the one thing that I took away from my father is that he knew how to give. He didn't know how to give right all the time, but whenever he gave, he gave everything of himself. And I'm hoping maybe today this resonates with you that our Father has given us the word that we can hide it in our heart that we wouldn't sin against him. And our Father has given us a hope that we can trust the guidance of this book. This is our roadmap, amen. And we also know that those that came before us set camp for us and they've put up the shelters and they've put up the chairs and they put up the places and they put up the place where you can warm your soul at the fire of repentance water baptism in Jesus name and then fill in the Holy Ghost there's places where there's still fireries and it came from those that came before us I'm thankful for the preached word I'm thankful for every message I've ever heard don't get me wrong but I have to carry my part so today, we celebrate our fathers as guides. Jesus, as we bow our heads and we pray, we want to pray over these fathers today. We ask you, Lord Jesus, just put your arm around your dad if he's nearby or if you're with him, would you pray for your father? Lord, we just ask you to strengthen these men and their guiding voice and their guiding life. God, we are guided by our father. We're guided by our natural Father, and we're guided by our Heavenly Father. Lord, help these men to have a heart for God, to have a passion that burns in them, 
because you put the passion there, Jesus. And when we find a passion for something that is in you, you always encourage those flames. And so I pray today that we would have a heart for you, that we would have a life that lives after you, and that we would realize that we're, we're, we're climbing a trail that others went before us, but also others are coming behind us. And we give our today to you, Jesus, so that others have a great tomorrow. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.